with us. We are going to be in the Gospel of Luke this morning. As we have done over the past couple weeks, we've taken a break from our winter-spring series of the life of David, which we will resume after this Sunday. Yes. And we are going to be looking specifically this morning at the resurrected Jesus um, as he walks with a man named Cleopas on the road to Emmaus. Scholars and historians agree um, that Jesus showed himself to over 500 people after his death over a 40-day period. And what that means then is as for data and evidence and all that, no movement, no religion, or any other account of resurrection by someone comes close to the number of people who testify to seeing the resurrected body of Jesus. And so Luke records one of those accounts for us here in chapter 24. And I'll begin in verse 13 and end there in 35, and then I'll move over to verses 44 and read the rest. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb And found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he, being Jesus, said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? 
And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Now from verse 44. Then he, Jesus, said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. We pray and ask God to teach us his word. Heavenly Father, we pray now, just as we read, that you would open our eyes and ears, that we might see and hear things, otherwise we could not. And so at this time, we ask that you do a miracle. And by miracle, that you would soften hardened hearts to respond to your truth, to see you, to know who you are, to know the love and the grace that you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was asked recently, and perhaps maybe because it's sort of the Super Bowl for pastors this week. Uh, do you ever get tired of teaching the Bible? Do you ever get tired of preaching? And, and genuinely, the answer is no. I don't. And I guess if I, if I, if I did or I do, um, it's time to find another profession. But the reason I start there is the reason I don't, and there's a lot of reasons, but it is, is because of texts like the one that we're looking at this morning. Um, if you were to ask, you know, if you think about, is, is there a story in Scripture that, you know, if you could just go back in time and watch this, right, what would it be? And for, it's rhetorical, but I'd love to hear this after the service. But, you know, for some, it's like, I got to go to the Red Sea and I got to see that thing part. That would be really cool. Uh, for others, maybe it's seen uh, Goliath fall by David's sling. And I'm sure there are a host of others. For me, it's this text here. If there's a place I'd like to go back in time to experience, it's on this road with Cleopas and the resurrected Jesus. I'd love to see this whole thing unfold sort of like a fly on the wall from Jesus just walking with them, listening to them, listening to their concerns, their fears. Him showing them the scriptures and how the entire Bible is about him, to experiencing the burn of God's grace to them as they begin to see that what Jesus did in his death and in his resurrection, he did for them. So how do you get tired of that? I don't know if you spent much time in this passage, but what an appropriate day for us to go on a walk with the resurrected Jesus this Easter morn in hopes that we might see Jesus, and perhaps, if not for the first time, to see him afresh 
uh, for the thousandth time that our hearts too, as we walk with him, as we see him in the scriptures, might burn as well as we experience God's grace to us in Jesus. So let's do that together as we look at three things, not printed in your bulletin. Let's look at the, the confusion in the passage first, and then we'll look at the hope in the passage, followed by the power in the passage. So the confusion in the passage, the hope in the passage, and the power in the passage as we look at this story in Luke. So let's take that first one in that order. The confusion in the passage. Luke records details here uh, on this first Easter of two, you might call, B-team disciples. These were not part of the 12. Um, <laughs> But Cleopas and, and this person he's walking with, he's not named, they're traveling from Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified three days prior, and they're going to Emmaus. And as they travel, right, the resurrected Jesus joins them in their travels and enters into their discussion about what had taken place over the week and even today. Uh, the first thing, and by the way, if we ever wonder if God has a sense of humor, I think we can kind of see that there's some humor here too. Right. Uh, the first thing, though, that strikes us as we read this account is that somehow they were kept from recognizing Jesus. And we're not really sure how or why that was. But as Jesus asked them what it is that they are talking about, Cleopas gives him an account that is almost perfect. Right? It is, we might say, the gospel at this point according to Cleopas. It has details in it that tell us that he was close to Jesus and the twelve. Cleopas is even aware of the women who visited the tomb. That morning, uh, to find it empty and being greeted by angels as well. But in verse 21, we discover the tone of Cleopas' gospel, one of sadness, one of ultimate disappointment and confusion in the words, but we had hoped. But we had hoped. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And we can speculate on what Cleopas and other Jews at this time thought uh, that the Messiah, the Christ, or coming in power, what that might look like to make God's enemies, as Psalm 2 talks about, being a footstool to them. We know many thought that the Messiah would come in, in sort of a military-like victory or way where force was the means by which God subdued his enemies, mainly those pesky Romans. But whatever they were, Whatever, whatever, whatever they thought it would look like, death of the Messiah was not a part of that. It was not a part of those expectations. And so what Cleopas and other Jews had hoped for in Jesus, whatever their expectations were, like they died along with Jesus that Friday. We had hoped he was the one. And this road they are on, among many things, is blanketed with the confusion brought on by unmet expectations and what they had hoped God would do for them as his people. And no doubt we have experienced this too. Actually, when I, when I read this, I, I, I tend to always think about um, the disappointment and, and the sadness perhaps even, but the failed expectations of those who either buy into or promote doomsday prophecies. You know the ones I'm talking about where the, the world is going to come to an end at this particular date. This is when Jesus is going to come back. And, and in fact, I actually feel pity for them at times and how they must feel. One, one of these, religious leader uh, William Miller, began preaching in 1831 that the end of the world as we know it 
would occur with the second coming of Jesus Christ in 1843. He attracted as many as 100,000 followers, that's amazing, who all believed that they would be carried off to heaven when the date arrived. When the 1843 prediction failed to materialize, Miller recalculated and determined that the world would actually end in 1844. Follower Henry Emmons wrote this about this date in 1844. I waited all Tuesday, and dear Jesus did not come. I lay prostrate for two days without any pain, sick though with disappointment. Again, no doubt we have experienced confusion, disappointment, perhaps in other ways, but maybe like this too. And I imagine in some way that this is what Cleopas and and those followers felt as they traveled along this road. But ask anyone in here uh, who has followed Christ for any length of time, I, I imagine that there's a sense too that you can enter into that disappointment as well that you have experienced in this lifetime, unmet expectations from those you trusted or those you counted on. Ask anybody who's been married for a month, a week, right? And they will tell you all about disappointment and failed expectations, et cetera, et cetera. Right? But, but it, maybe it's a new job that you got and you thought this was, this was going to be it. This is where you were going to find, you were going to arrive, or it was a family vacation, and, and you had your hopes set on this being the vacation that would really pull our family together, but it didn't. Maybe it's in some friendships or in a relationship where you thought you were closer to these friends than you really were, and they ended up hurting you. Or maybe it's in your college experience where you've been told, perhaps, that these are the best days of your life, and they have been anything but <laughs> the best days of your life. When our expectations are not met, we are often left with confusion about our decisions, about God's direction in our life, we follow Jesus, and perhaps even more whether God is even real or not. And I don't know what your church experience is if you're visiting, but this is a a place where we want to create a space to even be honest about those doubts. Honest about the ways that that things maybe haven't worked out for you and that has caused you to burn with anger towards God himself, but perhaps has even left you in a state of confusion about wondering whether or not he's even real. For Cleopas and his friend, this is where they are. Their confusion, their sadness, though, is brought on because death wasn't a part of their expectation for the Messiah to come and to redeem Israel, let alone resurrection. Yet Jesus walks with them. He walks with them. And he's about to show them that, in fact, everything is fine. In fact, it's, it's better than fine. Because the Scripture said... Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. Cleopas and the boys here are about to find all of this out. And this is what's going to get us to our second point, the hope in the passage. This is the first point, the confusion in the passage. As they go on this road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, Now let's turn to the hope in the passage. And the hope is this, is that Jesus meets us in our confusion 
as he does here, to show us that this is exactly what was supposed to happen. And what is that? As I just read. That the Christ should suffer and die. In other words, the plan worked. All is going according to plan. This is what is supposed to happen. This is where your hope is actually to be found. And how are you going to find that out? Well, what does Jesus say to them? Does he point to his pierced hands in the story? No. He does something remarkable. And easy to miss. He points to Scripture. In one of the most profound verses in Luke's gospel, Jesus looks at Cleopas in verse 27, and we read, beginning with Moses and the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Verse 44 tells us the same thing when Jesus was with his disciples. He said, then he, Jesus, said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. What is he saying? He is saying all of Scripture. Moses and the prophets, that was all they had. All of Scripture is about one thing. It's about me. It's about me. Jesus. See, the Bible is not a self-help book, right? It is not a book that tells you how to live a good and moral life so that God will be happy with you. Please hear that. Rather, it is a story about what God has actually done for you in Christ. It is a story of rescue. And if you want your confidence restored in God, if you want to understand his love for you, you then must know who Jesus is. And the way that you do that is through Scripture, Jesus is telling us. For Cleopas, Jesus actually says to them that they should have known that it was necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. But for us, perhaps far far removed from this road that Jesus is walking on, we might have more fundamental questions about Jesus and who he is. All the more for us to go to Scripture, to trust it, Right, as Jesus himself did for them to understand who he is. And this is the hope in the passage for Cleopas, but it's the hope for us as well in the fact that God can truly be known. No secrets, no surprises. He's right here in the text. This is what Jesus chooses to point to to answer their questions about a failed Messiah they thought had died. Philip Ryken, in his commentary of Luke, makes this observation. He says, rather than pointing to his resurrection body, first of all, Jesus pointed to the scriptures that pointed to himself. As Dinsdale Young, a 19th century pastor, has written, I should have imagined that the risen Lord would be independent of the Bible. But no, he cleaves to it with all the old affection. He came up from the grave and hastened to the holy book. I should have imagined that the risen Lord would be independent of the Bible. How often do we think this? How often do we live in search of God and even in some belief in Jesus, but never actually take our time to join that search, to join that belief of him with Scripture? Jesus literally says, 
the whole book is about him, which means you can't have him without the Bible, nor can you have the Bible without him. The two go hand in hand. We only understand Jesus by what? Reading the Bible. And we can only, though, understand the Bible when we know who it is about. Those two go together. Otherwise, the Bible becomes this journal that you found on the side of the road with no name in it. Try to imagine with me for a second, especially our young disciples, finding someone's journal on the side of the road with no name in it. You pick it up, and at first, right, you're intrigued. I wonder what kind of juicy stuff I'm going to find in this thing. But then you start reading, and before long, you just lose interest. And why would you lose interest? Because you don't know who the author is or who it's about. And so you toss it, and what seemed intriguing at first glance becomes boring and irrelevant in no time. The same is true with Scripture. Unless you know who it's from. And perhaps more importantly, who it is about that the Bible will never actually make sense to us. But who is Jesus saying that the Bible is about in Luke 24? It's him. It's him. From Genesis to Revelation, it's one story, and he's at the center of it. This is what Jesus is telling Cleopas and his followers, and this is the hope for them. Not just that Jesus died, but that he was supposed to, according to the scriptures. In other words, again, it's all going according to plan. Jesus is saying, I am here with you to show you this. And so perhaps for us, some of us this morning, right, the question becomes, are we interested in letting Jesus show us himself in scripture? Perhaps even to deconstruct the ways that life hasn't worked out for us and reconstruct them in him. Are we willing to let him do that, right? Are we willing uh, to keep walking with him, as it were? Even if we've fallen out of belief or trust because of something that has happened to us, would we let Jesus meet us in those places where our hope is dwindling, if not gone? Because this is what he does. I'd like to believe that Luke is not just recording a one-time event here, but rather showing us the pattern of Christ, that he truly walks with us if we desire, that he opens our eyes and minds to the Scripture. Jesus is saying, if you want confidence in what God is doing, if you want hope and the hope that only Christianity offers, you must know me. You must Know me, and the way you know me is through the Bible. Don't look for signs or dreams or visions or voices. If they come, great. Go to Scripture where I'm on every page. This is the true hope of the passage. Well, what will we find as we know Jesus through the Scriptures? And this gets to my third point, the power in the passage. And what we'll find as we begin to know Jesus in and through the scriptures, is we'll find grace. We will find grace, God's unconditional love for us. What happened to Cleopas and the others when Jesus showed them the scriptures? Verse 32, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? 
while he opened to us the scriptures, the text says. Their hearts burned, or quite literally were set on fire as they walked and talked with Jesus while he opened the Bible to them. And what does this mean? Well, it means that they not only began to see what the Bible was about, which is Jesus, but they actually began to see what Jesus had come to do for them. In other words, they tasted the grace of the gospel as they understood what God had done for them in Christ, as they began to see him in in and throughout all of the scriptures, all of those stories, all of those those stories they remember hearing as a child leading up to this point where Christ would actually come and die and resurrect uh, to fulfill God's promises to his people. They saw for the first time, perhaps even, that Jesus didn't come to overthrow Rome and lead Israel into a military victory over their oppressors, but actually rather he came to substitute himself in their place so that they might have victory over the grave and be reconciled to God through faith alone. They saw where the real battle needed to take place, not in Rome, right, but in their own hearts, And maybe that's about as far as some of us can go this morning, right? Where is the battle really for you at this point in time in your life? Is it in D.C.? Is it on some news channel? Has Jesus shown you that the real battle that you're fighting is right here? It's you. It's your sin. Those are distractions. And that's not that they're not important. Some of us would love it if Jesus came and took over certain parts of this world. He has control over all of it, by the way. But he wants you to deal with you. This is the battle that needs conquering. That what God really did for Cleopas in Christ was to die for him. That his own heart might be sprinkled clean with the blood of Jesus that one day he would be raised in your life as well. That's what I need. That's what you need. Friends, we can spend a lifetime in the scriptures studying them, reading the Hebrew and the Greek, being a scholar of all things the Bible, but if it is nothing more than the ancient text, then it has no power to you. However, when we begin to see that it's not just about God, but what God has done for us, right, this is when you begin to come alive because that's when you experience the grace the grace of the scriptures, the grace that comes to us, the more that you allow Jesus to show you who you truly are and what he still did for you. Several years back, Ada and I embarked on uh, some pretty major work in our house in the kitchen, knocked down some walls, redid the floor plan, tried to create a space where our family could fit. And we were really pleased with the work and enjoyed the new, uh, the new kitchen. And after this is done, this was kind of new, new to us, the, the contractors wanted to come in and take pictures. And then I kind of got, okay, you want to take pictures of your work and um, put it on Instagram or something like that and show people what you did. Okay. So, you know, they came in and they did that. And I'd kind of forgotten about it until um, Ada had sent me the pictures. And I'm looking at this kitchen, and I, it's amazing. And I, I actually... This is not ours. And I start to kind of know it is. It is ours, right? And, but the reason why it took me a while to, to recognize it is because, look, I've got, well, at the time, I had four daughters under eight. 
And as, and as Ada and I like to say, like, they're committed to destroying everything we love. And so I, I know what that kitchen looks like. It doesn't look like this. If you were to come over the day those pictures were taken and get a closer look, you'd see what the imperfections. Right? You'd see the, cha- the, the, the chipped paint, right, where stools bump up constantly against the, the, you know, the kitchen cabinets and, and all of those things. You'd see the, the food on the floor or, or perhaps, you know, something that got wiped underneath the countertop. I'm not sure how that got there, but it certainly didn't get cleaned up. Right? You'd see all these imperfections that the pictures hide. And why? Well, because they're from a distance, let alone photoshopped. Right? What's real is what you see the closer you get. That's not just true for kitchens this morning. Right? This is also true for us. I can look one way from this distance, but the closer you get to me, right, my imperfections start to show. Put me under a microscope, uh, and you won't want to talk to me. And what the Bible tells us is that this is also true for us, spiritually speaking, right? These are, there are things in us and about us, how we think, what we think about, right, our true motives, that we do not want anyone to know about. And I and you and I, we can sanitize it. We can dress it up. We can look really nice on Sunday morning, especially Easter, right? But none of that, none of that is changing the reality of my prejudices, biases, anger, jealousy, lust, or pride, etc. In many ways, I'm just like those professional pictures, right? The more distance, the better. But here's the deal. Those imperfections, right, the close-up of our hearts, that's what the Bible wants to show you. And it doesn't want to show you this so that you can feel extra guilt or shame about who you are. It wants to show you this so that you can begin to fully understand the grace of God in Jesus Christ. That as we see Christ in the Scriptures, right, we see that God knows this about ourselves and more. Yet he still what? Loves us. In fact, he remains committed to us in spite of our imperfections and sin. And what begins to happen is as you grow in your knowledge of your sin, right, what the cross of Jesus does what? It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And even in those deeper sins that you don't even want to think about, you wonder if the cross can even cover that. And what Jesus is telling you, yes, it can. It does. And this is grace. And when we see it and when we hear it, it causes our hearts to burn inside Because it's real. Resurrection is real, friends. Because what you never imagined could be true, that Jesus would know the worst of you and still give his life for you, is true. It's this grace, then, that is the power for Cleopas and the disciples and really for all of us, to do the things that God has called us to do. It's grace that is the power to receive forgiveness, but also what? Offer forgiveness and give forgiveness to others. This grace is the power what to be loved, which is incredibly hard for us, if we're honest. But not just to be loved, but what? To go and love. To love one another as I have loved you. Because what Jesus longs to do is come alongside us. 
in our confusion, in our sadness, in our doubts, whatever road we find ourselves on, and he loves to take all of our broken, we had hope stories that define our lives and replace them with a new story, with a new song, with new life, with himself. That is his invitation to you, not just on Easter Sunday, but every Sunday, every day. This is what he longs to do. This is what's happened to Cleopas and his friends, and this is what happens to us when what? When we walk with the resurrected Jesus. The joy of the Christian life is to keep walking with the resurrected Jesus, which is ultimately what we aim to do here at Wallace. And so if you're looking for a church right now, if you've stumbled in here by invitation and wondering, how did I even get here? We'd love to invite you to come along. Join us as we do this together in community. But for those who have been sitting in these seats for a long time, perhaps, right, uh, been around the church a while and, and know a lot about the Bible, but have not experienced perhaps even in a while or at all the grace of Christ in it for you, his death and his resurrection for you, that it is real, would you come talk to me or one of the elders here that we might pray together? We might read the scriptures together so that the grace of Jesus might be made known to you and the joy of the Christian life, walking with the resurrected Jesus, restored. Be nothing that I would enjoy more than that. Because as it turns out, Jesus has not just come to meet us in our confusion, nor just to show us himself in the scriptures, right? He has come to make us alive in him by his grace. I'll end with this. Um, a few months ago, Ada sent me this story about a rodeo in Texas. Uh, you can't have Easter Sunday without a rodeo story. Um, let's just get that out front. But this is a, a bull, bull riding story. I, wouldn't say, I, mean, I was already a fan of bull riding before I went to Texas, um, but I definitely have a greater appreciation of it from being there, and I find it incredibly funny that in God's providence, the story would land in my lap, now that I'm in Maryland, and so you have to suffer this. I'm sorry, um, but this story is, uh, you, you'll understand why it made its way, you know, to, to me and, and a lot of other people, but uh, the story, you could read it or you could watch the video. I tend to watch the videos, I'm not going to lie, and so I'll, I'll explain the story um, as it unfolds on video. And if you're familiar with bull riding, you know that they, they, they put the bull in the pen and the rider gets on that bull and then there's a count and they open that gate. And it's, you need to stay on for at least eight seconds. And so that's what happens. And there's nothing abnormal at first. The, the, the gate flies open and the guy's riding and he's doing a great job, I guess. He's staying on. <laughs> About four seconds goes by and he gets, he gets bucked off, right? Normal. It's at this point that the rodeo clowns, right? And the rodeo clowns are those who are, well, they look like clowns in the rodeo. They hide themselves in those barrels. And it's at this point that they get out and, and, and they, they distract the bull uh, from the rider. And I'm just going to be honest up, up front here. Uh, it, it wasn't until I, I moved to Texas that I learned that, like, they actually have a real job. They, they aren't there just for your entertainment. I always thought they were the, sometimes the best part of the rodeo. They're there to protect the rider, right? So when the rider gets bucked off, they're there to distract that bull so that the rider has time to get up and move away. 
And so the rodeo clowns are doing their thing, and it's working, and the bull's running towards them, and everybody's laughing, but there's a problem. The rider has actually been knocked unconscious, and he's just laying there on the ground, motionless. And you can hear in the video, you can hear the crowd start to notice this. And so the rodeo clowns are aware of this, and and they're doing all that they can to keep this 2,000-pound bull distracted long enough for somebody to come and help but as the video plays on, and it's kind of hard to watch, I'm not going to lie, right? The bull turns, and he immediately sees the rider, and he starts bearing down on the rider. And it's just, it's just all happening so fast that you're just, there's, there's nothing that can really be done at this point. No one's going to get out there in time and, and pull this guy out of there. And that's when this thing happens, which is why I'm probably watching the video, right? It's sort of viral at this point. Someone jumps into the ring. And it's not just anybody, right? It's, we find out later, it's the rider's father. And he jumps into the ring, right? And he, and he covers the bull rider. And he takes his abdomen and he covers his head and he wraps himself around the rest of his body so that everything is protected. And right at the last second, you see the father roll in as the bull comes in and he takes the hit. And it's a hit. But the sun is never touched. Thankfully, the bull is caged, and the paramedics carry the rider to safety. Look, knowing things about the Bible, knowing things about Christianity, gives us the ability to tell a story like this and just talk about things, talk about facts. But seeing Christ in the scriptures, and perhaps maybe more importantly, knowing Christ in the scriptures, that God sends his own son to what? To take the hit for you so that you will never be touched. That's love. That's grace. That's the gospel. And only it, friends, has the power to change our we-had-hoped stories. And turn them into new ones. May we never get tired of it. May I never get tired of it. May you never get tired of it. And may it ever cause our hearts to burn until what? Until we come face to face with the resurrected Jesus. And that time. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come this morning to acknowledge that every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday for Christians, but we do so this morning giving heavier weight to what you have done. May it not be detached from grace. That you did something for us, you protected us, you you gave up yourself for us while we were enemies of yours, while we hated you while we continue to fall off the mark, that you were happy to do this for us because you loved us. May that sink deep into our hearts and may your spirit soften our hearts to receive that, to know who you are, that you are the one true God who has defeated death and has resurrected in victory over that death to be ascended then to the throne to rule over all things. And it's that God who desires to come and walk with us here and now. 
We thank you for that. We pray that you would continue to make much of your name both in this area of College Park and Maryland, but throughout the world as well, until you return as you have promised. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.